Hello, are you ready to dive into a world of captivating conversations and insightful perspectives with Leap Listens? I'm Sarah and I'm joined by my co-host Roger. Hello. And together we'll be your guides through our third podcast series. Leap Listens is proudly presented by Leap Create, a dynamic people communications agency that partners with organisations to communicate their unique culture and values. Go and check us out at leapcreate.co.uk. So join us as we explore the latest trends, share success stories and uncover the secrets of effective communications in the workplace in just 15 minutes or maybe a little bit more. In this episode, we welcome Charu Maholtra from PA Consulting, who has held leadership roles in employer branding and recruitment marketing for global organisations, including Unilever, BP and McKinsey. Her expertise lies in developing diversity and inclusion strategies, external communications and content aimed at attracting and engaging top talent. She'll be sharing her insights on managing global employer brands. Welcome to the podcast, Chiru. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. So let's go straight in. What inspired you to pursue a career in employer branding and how has the journey been so far? Yeah, I mean, I I love this question because I think when you talk to anyone that's done employer branding for as long as I have, which has probably been about 14, 15 years, you don't set off. Well, no one I've met sets off on, on thinking about it. You almost fall into it. And for me, it was very much, you know, started off in a recruitment role when I was lucky enough at BP to start getting involved in projects around be it website, channels like LinkedIn, job boards and so on, you immediately begin to think about things like tone of voice, you think about content, you think about communication. So for me, it was just of a natural progression around, okay, these projects involve not just technology, but involve us thinking about different types of ways that you talk to people. So I fell into it like most people do, and it became something that really helped with my ability to think about things with a curious lens, because recruitment marketing was very much in its infancy. So you could trial, you could try. It wasn't a, this is what you need to do because this job has existed for years and years and years. And because you've got so many people joining from a melting pot, marketing, comms, media relations, TA, talent like myself, that actually that sort of osmosis, that mess, melting pot really kind of brings itself to this sort of real kind of sense of you can come into it with so many different ideas, as long as you're always thinking about the red thread, the candidate, that, that what's, what are you trying to do here? It's engage candidates. Now, Charu, looking or listening back to your introduction there, you've got some household global names on your CV. What are the challenges that a global company faces when building an employer brand? Yeah, so I think there's two or three that immediately spring to mind, Roger. So I have worked for and worked with amazing brands like Unilever, where not only you do, have, do you have multiple brands within that one master brand, and at the time at Unilever, we didn't really think about Unilever. It was very much, you know, the Ben & Jerry's, Divestor, Stub, mm-hmm. and so on. But also you have this huge international lens of you cannot operate in the way that you do in Turkey as you would in the UK or Poland and so on. Mm-hmm. So... I've, I've loved and enjoyed those, but the, the, the challenges are sort of, you know, threefold. A, you have to be constantly conscious that you cannot do a cookie cutter approach. So whether it thinks when you're thinking about content, let's use films, videos as an example, language uh, and, and, and as another example, you cannot be presumptuous enough that everyone understands what you're trying to say and should understand. So that cookie cutter approach cannot be something that you you kind of deploy because it's easier and more efficient. Secondly, um, the phrase freedom in the framework was something that we adopted very much in Lever and I've used throughout my career. 
again, what does that mean? It means let's trust people in the in their local countries to understand the candidate mar- far, market far more than I might do sitting in a global function in the UK or in the States. So I think that freedom in the framework being really, really clear that, that there are things that have to be consistent and agreeing those up front, but also being adaptive and agile enough to think about where is their flex. So that's the second challenge. And I think the third one is recognizing that employer branding often um, sits in this sort of space where there's a Venn diagram and you have lots of people involved, whether it is communications, whether it is marketing, whether it is brand, whether it is talent. So there are many voices. So you have the, the, the third challenge and whether it's a global company or a smaller company, Roger, I think it's key is being really, really disciplined about what are you trying to do when you're achieving and creating something? Because often when you're working in a global company, things take longer, can take longer because the level of stakeholders, the level of scrutiny. When you're working for a big FMCG or you know a, a, a large brand, there are a lot more pressures on how do you use the brand. But you have to be the person that's the, the trusted uh, custodian of the candidate. That's the third challenge. It's really easy to get lost in the spaghetti junction of how do I get there? And the hubris kind of takes over. So for me, the red thread is always, and I'll say this a lot, it's what are we trying to do? How are we trying to engage the candidate? That's the end goal. Mm. Excellent. I love the term freedom in the framework. Yeah. I think that's that's great. So is there such thing as global employer brand? The million dollar question. Know, um, <laughs> yeah, no, Sarah, I think, I, I, I look back and uh, you know, I did podcasts eight, nine years ago, and I would have answered with confidence and an immediacy, which would be, yes, absolutely. I've created them. Of course there is. But actually, certainly in the last four, three, four years, I've reflected more on this and worked for different types of organizations, some smaller, but mostly, you know, still global, global reach. I'm actually now not an advocate of creating this global employee value proposition hinging into an employer brand. I feel more there's more micro brands, micro employer brands rather. So of course, again, going back to that kind of framework or using Unilever as an example or Fodero or Primark, all of which I've kind of worked in the employer branding space for, of course, there's a master employer brand. But I believe now, uh, and, and this is how I, I execute and create and so does the teams I work with, is you have to reflect more of the micro brand. So hence that the global and the local becomes much more, I think, an equal relationship. Whereas I think, you know, certainly if we were talking 10 years ago, I would have said 70-30 or 80-20. So I think, you know, um, the, the, the power and the influence has changed because of all the things that are going on externally. But also I think you can't be as arrogant, I, I think, as we perhaps were, but also so hell-bent on control. So I think, um, is there one? Of course, companies do have global employer brands. But I think when you look underneath and lift the lid up, certainly in my experiences, you're creating more localized content, localized messaging. Because, you know, certainly I'm sure, you know, you and Roger have got teams working with you. If you have teams in London and Bristol, perhaps, I'm just using that as a hypo, I bet there'll be local nuances. Um, so how can we not expect that when you think about, you know, Turkey, India, mm. America, Israel? So, you know, I think um, the micro-employer brand becomes much more fun- fundamental under under the house of employer brand, global employer branding. Yeah, that's really interesting because I, I guess you've got some core truths and values that you can keep as a consistent baseline across communications, but then that's nuanced and localized. But you must have seen in your time the rise of social media we all have. How has that been leveraged to help build and enhance 
employer brands either on a global or a local level for the minute i started in employer branding obviously social media has been you know key it's it's um it's very much a a area where i think organizations started with a command and control you know, we've got to have linkedin and this is what everyone's profile needs to look like and mm-hmm. and and say and then you get into this point well, well then why is no one liking my content why is no one sharing our corporate content well because it doesn't resonate so I think you know the, the whole piece around advocacy, around how do you create a interest and engagement in the content you create as a corporate, uh, as a, an employer brand, um, has the whole dynamic has changed, Roger. So I think that whole piece around both employee generated content, which we did um, with huge success at uh, at Unilever and and and, and certainly other organisations like Primark and Kinsey, is very much the way forward. And I, I do think. If you don't encourage that, and then I've been in companies where it's not encouraged, it's not allowed, or there are so many regulations and guardrails that ultimately we're talking about people that have got full-time jobs. If you make it so hard for someone to share, or they're so paralyzed by fear, which is, you know, a lot of employees are, that they won't bother. Mm. So I think clearly social media is is very much a, the space that will continue growing. I think we what's wonderful about the employer branding space, and I'm sure this is why you're both in it, and why communications is such a you know a beautiful area to be in, is that elegant friction between we want to be in every channel because you know, who doesn't? You know, I want to experiment, I want to pilot, but actually you can't be mm. because you have to think about adapting your voice. You have to think about adapting your content. And we've seen those awful examples of people just sharing the same content over, you know, multiple channels. It doesn't work. So um, I love the fact change. You look about how, look how dramatically the use, the use of TikTok has changed over the last 12 months. You know, I would never have predicted that it would be such a, you know, candidates and people I talk to in a, a, a certain generation, I'm not of that generation, use TikTok as their search engine. Now, I don't think anyone would, would have predicted that a couple of years ago, or perhaps they would, but they might have been mm. scoffed at. But I think, you know, social clearly is not going to go away, nor should it. But that whole activism piece where employees are recognising their power and their voice is quite an interesting dynamic, I think, that companies are still struggling with a lot. As far as, you know, we hear the word authenticity a lot and everyone wants authentic content. But often that goes just as far as people using their own Mm -hmm. employees in recruitment, marketing materials and in videos. And, you know, we see a lot of very similar videos, but I guess TikTok has been very much a leveler because people are really kind of almost punished, aren't they? If if there's a corporate video on on there, it's just so hideously out of place and and not in touch with what that platform is about. Yeah. And it's quite uncomfortable as well, isn't it, for companies if they're, you know, being told, right, we've got a TikTok channel. You can sort of see people thinking, oh, goodness, (laughs) what's this going to It's uncomfortable for the viewer. It's uncomfortable for everybody. I I feel the same though when I watch film shared by uh, you know, whether it's corporate marketing or, you know, in recruitment marketing, where the employees have been given such strict guardrails and, and, and often scripts that they don't sound like people anymore. And I, I always feel, and I, I say this a lot when, you know, if you follow me on LinkedIn, you know, you, you speak in the way that you would normally and, and people don't speak in buzzwords. Well, not unless they're sort of very sad. So why not encourage them to talk? And, and the films that I do and, and, and share and create in whatever organization, I, I will be actively on set saying, 
you just said this as if you were given a script by HR and here are our values. This is not what I'm asking. Talk to me like you would a friend or, you know, if I'm creating something for an engineering type uh, activation, then don't, it doesn't need to resonate with me. I'm not a mechanical engineer. I, I don't need to understand what you're saying, but as long as the other mechanical engineers in the, in our competitors understand that's the Holy Grail, that's the Nirvana. So I love the way that you said it's uncomfortable. It's sort of, you know, it goes back to that whole, if you make it so full of friction that employees feel scared and they're just lending themselves to a script, that actually you just get this very kind of uncomfortable or highly scripted individual and, and, and you're not getting their, their kind of best self, which again, isn't the point, you know, we, otherwise you might as well hire models and actors and don't get me started on organizations that do that. So, yeah. But I mean, we haven't got enough time, but I think the whole thing around authentic self is an interesting dichotomy because, again, probably five, six years ago, I was, again, banging the drum saying you need to bring your authentic self to work. And actually, I've been challenged by people that I learn from and learn with, you know, some you know, really strong, you know, people in the IND space that said, actually, for some parts of the, the kind of you know, talent space, you know, individuals that are highly highly scrutinize it's really a big emotional tax to expect them to come into work and be their authentic self so you know i think it's that whole you bring yourself into a space where you share as much as you can that's authentic but there's nothing wrong with keeping something behind and adam grant talks about this a lot around the importance of learning what we can share so that we don't have a face but actually knowing what to keep behind. So, uh, so it doesn't turn into an episode of Oprah. But I think that again, you know, for me, I'm, a, I'm on a very much learning journey and constantly curious that I think, you know, bringing your authentic self would be something I would have said, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I did say, it, I, you know, if you look at my LinkedIn, but actually my opinion has evolved and, and changed. I segue there, but I just thought it was important to say. No, absolutely. I think that's a whole nother podcast. That absolutely. Is. And we yeah, have, we have you. actually got a bit of, <laughs> bit of time because we're, I think the conversation is so interesting that we're extending it slightly. Now, I know that I'm going to throw this question at you and we did talk about it in our sort of pre-chat. How can organizations look inclusive without being tokenistic? And that's, that's a big question. What, what have you done to, to try and solve that particular challenge? First of all, I think, as you said, it's a really big question that a lot of organizations and, and people in my space um, struggle with and will constantly struggle with because you want to be and have to be showing reality. Because, again, there's no point showing something that isn't true because you then have individuals that join and don't thrive, don't enjoy and will either leave or be so disengaged that actually it's you know counterproductive for both the employer and the employee. But. I feel there's kind of two or three things that you know I've done in, in the past and, and, and it's very much a learning area for me too, is I think first of all is really recognize internally what is it that you're trying to achieve. So I I, I like joining organizations where I can build things. If, if it was BAU, that wouldn't interest me. So when you're creating recruitment marketing on an employer brand, it's really important to recognize what type of individuals will thrive and, and, and won't thrive. So it's not employee branding is not a game of more, 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 give me more candidates, let me get more engagement, let me get everyone interesting. It's not a fishing net. It's actually let me be in some ways polarizing because I would want someone to understand enough about my employer brand communication and content and, and, and come to my website or, you know, a LinkedIn page or, you know, read enough on my job adverts if they're any good, and I hope they would be, to be actually, you no, know, this is the right place for me. I want to find out a bit more. 
or you know, I'm curious, curious enough to apply or let me be part of the talent pool, but also polarizing enough to go, actually, the, the nuggets that they've shared tell me I'm not going to enjoy this because good employer branding is polarizing. And that's where that whole mm. boldness and bravery comes in, because otherwise you get this bland brand, which, again, people like Ricky Willis, who talks about, you know, tone of voice all the time says, you know, and that's what you want to avoid. I don't ever want to be that beige, bland brand. So I think the tokenistic piece is it comes into that. So if the organization truly is committed into being an inclusive business, it's not just lipstick on a pig and a vanity project that's an initiative, um, <laughs> then absolutely, I think being very much a we're on a path, the roadmap, and this is where we are and this is what we're doing is really key to communicate. I think the tokenistic piece comes in where, and we've all been there where you absolutely think, okay, I, I'm creating something, but to make sure it's not looking like a monolith. It's not interviewing six, seven, you know, middle-aged white men, but nor do you want to always lean into that one woman of color, that one individual that's come into the business with some uh, element of components of, of diversity lens that you're trying to bring more of into the business. Because ultimately I don't represent as a, person born in Birmingham and Punjabi parents, every woman of color out there, simply I don't. And nor would I want to be bought into every kind of piece of content as that token. So I think it's a recognizing and communicating with honestly, uh, where, where you are on that journey. And secondly, recognizing that we can't always, and, and you shouldn't always you know, call on the same people because the emotional attacks on individuals and those employee resource groups is very real. They are doing real jobs. And often being part of an employee resource group and helping businesses understand where they need to do better from a policies, a processes, a recruitment perspective is their side hustle. It's their passion project. They're doing it because yeah. they want to improve things. So you can't over, over index on their time and their energy. And I think thirdly, you just be very, very kind of careful, you know, and I know it's, it sounds easier you know, but if you're running in for a branding, then you know who's getting involved and you're in, and you're being very, very mindful. So for me, you know, I have to be um, more bombastic and more vocal than perhaps I was 10 years ago because everyone thinks about IND a lot more now. And I am very much, you know, we can't just bring that person in. You know, they've been on the last five photo shoots. It's simply not fair. And it's not fair on them to constantly yeah. ask them to give their opinion. They aren't representative of every single person in this in this spectrum. So um, there's no solution for me. You know, I'll, I'll learn more tomorrow. I'll learn more on Monday. And it's that tapestry of learning and listening. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's just really great advice anyway, just your your thoughts. And that I think that would really help other people in, in that sort of situation to kind of understand how to approach it. I really love the word bombastic too. What a, what a great word. <laughs> to be I'm a word nerd. It's amazing. I love it. I haven't heard that for such a long time. I'm going to definitely use that. Finally, what advice would you give global companies that are looking to improve their employer brand? Two pieces. Start with an internal reflection. So it's really easy to start with, I, I, I will do something externally or I will go for an award or I will you know, improve my website or I'll bring in a, a new employer branding agency. But start with the internal reflection, the internal audit, see what's working and what's not. I, I think that's that's really key because there, there would be pockets of excellence, there'll be pockets of things that you really don't want to see ever seeing the light of day, but start internally first. And then the second piece is start small. It's really, you know, I've worked in seven massive global organizations. Things do take time. And what's 
starting small, starting with a pilot, talking to the TA team about where the problem statement is. You Are you really struggling to hire tech talent in Belfast? Are you str really struggling to hire design talent in, in, in San Francisco? You know, try to solve a small problem by doing a pilot or doing something small. So you get both results, but the confidence internally about, okay, maybe the bigger projects and the more involvement that you might need from other stakeholders, whether it's a budget piece or resource piece. And um, finally, finally, we like to just ask people what their top reads or listens are at the moment. So I, you know, I love, I love Adam, Adam Grant um, and I'll, I'll listen to him all, all, all day. Um, he's a, I'm a massive fan, um, but I also listen and read obsessively um, Amy Keane. So she's a journalist, a, a, a person that is hugely passionate, passionate about marketing, advertising. She's the founder of Dice. Uh, which is, uh, you know, no more manuals, you know, why have a conference with manuals and everything she writes, produces, creates um, as a, a as a journalist, um, I absorb, learn from, laugh at. Um, and so, yeah, Amy, Amy Keane and uh, Adam Grant are the two people I listen to and, and, and learn from and uh, they're kind of part of my ideal dinner party guests, which wasn't a question you asked, but I always have that no, ready. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a really interesting chat. And I think you've given some really good words of wisdom to our listeners. Thank, thank you, you Sarah. Thank you, Roger. Thanks for listening. For more expert insights, check out our other Bite Size episodes. Perfect for micro learners and those with a short attention span, just like me. And if you're interested in being a guest, reach out to us at leapcreate.co.uk. See you next time.